It's a small world. Have you ever said that? Ever have a situation in your life where you come to the conclusion that, oh, it's a great big world, it's a small world after all? I want you to call me today. It's just you and me on this Get to Know You Friday. So I need your help. I want you to tell me about your small world experience. What I've noticed from our Facebook friends is this is not a 10-second answer. Most of the time, it's a little more involved than that, and that's okay. So let me give you our number. Write it down. If you're wondering what a small world story is, you'll hear straight ahead. 877-548-3675. Listen to some examples. I'll tell you where this idea came from straight ahead. You're on Chris Fabry Live. Welcome to our small world at the Radio Backyard Fence online, chrisfabrylive.org. Let's thank the team, Ryan McConaughey, doing all things technical. Trisha is in Florida for the big open line program tomorrow. Tahira is in the chair. Laurel will be answering your calls. And since it's Friday, that's right, it's time for the fabulous Fabry Friday side. What's it do, Chris? One, we oxygenate your blood. Two, we get your endorphins going. Three, we raise your serotonin level. Four, we promote lymphatic drainage. And five, we stimulate your parasympathetic system. That's why we call it the five lung languages. We also stimulate your vagus nerve. We help you release acetylcholine. And don't forget what it does to cortisol dissipation. Right now, take in four seconds of air through your nose. Hold it four seconds. That's one. And then as you release that air through your mouth, push on the left side of your rib cage to get of all that bad carbon dioxide. Today, let's give a small world sigh. You were traveling hundreds of miles from your home, and lo and behold, there was that friend you hadn't seen in decades. That happened to Jim and Carla on a cruise. They met a couple from the small town Jim was from in the middle of the Pacific. It's a small world. Margie says, on a trip from Tennessee to Spain, my husband Ray was on a tour of a Christian school in Madrid. He and one of their teachers instantly recognized each other from their days as moody students, decades earlier, they reconnected that evening and marveled at what a small world it is. Today's fabulous February Friday side brought to you by our small world. World. All rights reserved. Uh, today is the 51st National March for Life, the largest annual pro-life event in the world. I wonder if anybody at the march today will come back with a small world story. What is what is it you're looking for, Chris? I'll tell you, today's topic comes straight from the heart of Denise, who wrote on December 12th, and I have it recorded, how about small world stories? Lots of them out there love the show. That was it. That's all she said. And I wrote back, Denise, explain. When you say small world, give me an example. Sounds fun. Denise, okay, so my hairdresser would, (laughs) anytime you start, so my hairdresser, that's it. I'm in. <laughs> you can say any, you can tell me any story you want. So my hairdresser would tell me about her son who had trouble with school and the law. I started praying for him. And at the same time, I would often go see my nephew wrestle. And he would tell me about his school friends and the ones who were kind of in trouble. I felt very burdened about this kid. I'll call him Jim. I will. My hairdresser's son. I would often ask her if I could reach out to him somehow. Nothing came of it. Well, I went to see my nephew wrestle, and one of the wrestling mates, his wrestling mates, came up to me and started talking to me, and I asked him if his mom was there, and he said, no, she's working. And I asked him what she did, and he said she cuts hair. (laughs) I asked him where, and 
He answered, the little town where I live, I asked what salon, and he said the name of that salon, and I said, I go there, what's your mother's name? That young man was my hairdresser's son, and we started laughing. Turns out she had to send him out of state to live with his uncle, and out there he met a girl who, according to my nephew, led him to the Lord. Now, the Lord had me pray for him, not really having any other influence in his life, but the Lord had me praying for months for this young man. I'm sure you've heard that this coincidence is the Lord's way of remaining anonymous. Our world is full of great, small worlds. So I said, from that, I'm in. And yours, your small world uh, topic does not have to have you know the spiritual prayer connection. If it does, great, call me. But what is, you've stopped in the middle and you said, it is a small world. Tell me your story. 877-548-3675. The first story that popped into my head, I've told it here before. It's about my father-in-law, George, George Kessel. He and my mother-in-law, Barbara, were living in Naples, Florida at the time. They had moved from Columbus, Ohio, And via Pittsburgh, via Buffalo, go Bills, and other places the insurance company sent him. He fought in World War II, was wounded in France, came home, enrolled in a college in Iowa, Grinnell, and he played on the basketball team there after the war. So George and Barbara would come and visit, and one spring, this, I think it was in the early to mid-1990s, And when he'd come, George always had to fix it. He'd always have to do something when he got there. So he would clean the windows or he would do little fix-it things up around the house full of children. I don't know if he was trying to get away from some of the kids. I don't think he was. But uh, one day, Andrea found him uh, sitting on the couch looking through the phone book, which was not normal. He was usually, you know, doing something. We lived at the time in a suburb of Chicago called Bolingbrook. Hello, friends. Lancaster Drive. We lived on Lancaster right behind the old library. And uh, she said, Dad, what are you looking for in that phone book? He said, ah, nothing. No, what are you looking for? He said, well, there was a list of alumni I saw recently, of, of, and it named the basketball team's members at Grinnell and uh George had graduated probably late 1940s. And he said there was a player on the list of the team, and it said, beside his name, it said Bolingbrook, Illinois, as his hometown now. And she said, what's his name? And he said, you, you know, it's too big of a town. Come on, you wouldn't know it. Dad, what's his name? And he said, Walter Pokoy, P-O-K-O-J. And she took the phone book and she closed it. And she said, Dad, stand up, come with me. And they walked out the door and they walked down the little driveway and they walked across Lancaster Drive, the street, to the sidewalk on the other side of the street, to the first house on the corner that I could throw, I could have thrown a rock and hit and broken the window. Thankfully, I never did. (laughs) She walked up the steps. She knocked on the door. She pushed her father in front of her. The door opened, and our friend Walter, Walter and Mary, Walter Walter looked through the screen and said, 
George Castle. I can never tell that story without tearing up. I don't know why. There's just something about that. And it's probably because I knew George so well. I had no idea about, you know, what he was like on the basketball. I was real tall, probably played center. But Walter was a lot shorter, and so he was probably the point guard. And I could, in hearing that story, I was there. She told me this. In hearing that small world story, I could imagine them years ago, everything that brought them to Grinnell, and then all that had happened in the 50 years or 40 since they had seen each other. And, and Walter looking through that screen and saying, George Kessel. What about you? Do you have a small world story? I want to hear it today at the Radio Backyard Fence. 877-548-3675. Just you and me today. You and me in the small world we live in. In the Radio Backyard Fence. 1-877-548-3675. You can also leave your story, as many have done, at our Facebook page. Find out more about that at the website. ChrisFabryLive.org. Thing now, come on. Okay, if it is, then you have a story to tell us. 877-548-3675. And uh, <laughs> we have three lines open for you all. This is going to be fun. Gail wrote on Facebook, went to Fairbank. This is a short one. Went to Fairbanks, Alaska, and someone kept blowing the horn. When we pulled over, it was the sister of one of my brother's classmates. We lived in Georgia. (laughs) Couldn't believe someone from her hometown was in Alaska. Not only did they see him, they recognized him, and then they started honking the horn. I love it. How about you? Let's go to Spokane, Washington, which is kind of in the middle of Georgia and Fairbanks, maybe. Sue is online. Hey, Sue, tell me your small world story. Good morning. Thank you so much for your program. I really appreciate it. Um, I had a friend who, 30 years ago, I wanted to sing professionally. He took me under his wing. He was a fabulous guitar player from Florida and had just moved to Spokane area. One day, we were singing out at the airport. And mind you, this man was such a professional. We worked through so many distractions at so many parties and so many venues. He never, ever stopped playing. But somebody walking down the gangplank from a plane that had just offloaded yelled out his name, and he looked up. He he undid his strap, handed me his guitar, and ran over to give him a hug. They were from Florida, and they were here visiting, and the timing was unbelievable because we only played two hours when we were set up to play. So I just thought God had really worked to give him a really nice Christmas gift. Yeah. What is that feeling when you see that, when you see that connection that's made and you're not, you you weren't part of, I mean, you were part of it, but you were just 
kind of observing. When you see that, what happens inside? My uh, my whole inside just it feels like it's filling up, like yeah. like the spirit has just warmed my entire inside, and and it was just beautiful to see, and and I was so happy for him. What did you do with the music thing? Did you use that in the rest of your life? You know, it taught me that I could sing in church because I had been afraid to do it. And I have been singing professionally for about 30 years now. And it was something I had always wanted to do. It was like this tremendous gift that I was given. And I really appreciate the time he put into it and saw saw the talent in me, I guess. That, that was just tremendous. Yeah. It's a small world. Look at that. Sue, thanks for calling today. <laughs> uh, years ago, around 2001 or so, we were hosting a missionary in our home for a few days while she attended a conference in our area. As we were talking, we discovered that she and her husband lived next door to some very good friends of ours from Moody Bible Institute. Both were from with Wycliffe in Papua New Guinea. And then we found out that she and her husband had both graduated from Fort Wayne Bible College, where I went for two years after graduating from Moody. So we knew a lot of the same people from there. It, was, it definitely made it feel like a very small world. Dave, it's a small world. Tell me your story. Yes. Uh, I was in the Marine Corps. This is way back in the 60s. I was in the Marine Corps near Washington, D.C., but I was from Toledo, Ohio, and my family took a vacation and came down to see me. And uh, I had to work during the day, but in the evening I would go and see uh, around D- Washington, D.C. with them. And But they were, during the day, they were walking down Constitution Avenue, and my mom heard her name. And it's, it's an unusual name. It's Olita. And... Uh, she heard her name, and then she heard her name again. She turned around. It was her cousin, and their family was <laughs> visiting Washington from Niagara Falls. But nobody knew the other one was going to be there. And we ended up uh, going around Washington, D.C. for a few days together, uh-huh. uh, the two families together. And so that was uh, very unusual to me. I wonder if that, you know, and this is the 60s. Now, fast forward to today, and everybody knows everywhere you're going and when you're there and what you're eating, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. the social media thing, I mean, in that sense, kind of brings us together. But but this was truly coincidental or happenstance, and there was no reason for it other than hearing her, oh, Lita. I can just imagine the surprise on her face. Yeah, and, and there's she didn't know anybody by that name, and we we don't either. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, so. I'm glad you got to tell your story. And if you're just tuning in, you're saying, "What do you What do you do? Is travel? No, this is it's a small world." Have you ever just stopped and said, "Wow, it's a small world." It, it, it feels like a small world to me. With Eric's story in Ohio and Canton. Hi, Eric. Go right ahead. Hi, I'm. This is Eric Wolf. Can you hear me? I sure can. Go ahead, Eric. Okay. This has to do with uh, uh, when I got saved. I was born and raised Catholic, so I was a parking attendant downtown at the Cultural Center in Canton, Ohio, for the private lot. And uh, we had a, a black man come to town, 
and uh, we have four high schools, and he had it so that he can have an assembly in all the high schools. Hmm. So we had our assembly. And he says, I'm talking downtown at the auditorium uh, till what, such and such a day. And uh, since I was a parking tenant, I was just about 100 yards away to walk, and I told my mom I would be late coming home. I think she knew what I was going to do. And uh, so I went there, and I attended, and I got saved. Really? Uh, his name was Tom Skinner. Tom Skinner. And, and uh, the Jewish kids didn't have to attend because we were about 20% Jewish in that school. Uh, I don't know if any of them did. And uh, the Holy Spirit had come on me at the auditorium like a ton of bricks. Do you know what yeah. what he what Tom said that that made that turned the switch on for you? Do you remember anything about what he said? No, I'm I'm thinking this. The reason why I'm a Christian today and I'm 70 years old is because I went to a Catholic church every Sunday, and there was always talking about Jesus Christ, and that was a seed implanted in me. Now, Tom, uh, uh, get this. I went to an all-white high school. We had 1,100 kids. We had one black kid in the entire school, and he is from Jamaica. Yeah, so it was kind of a culture shock even for us. <laughs> and uh, so I got saved, and the Holy Spirit came on me in such a way my legs almost went out from under me. Wow. You know— and you walk up front, and, and all these people are there. Go ahead. I, well, I had uh, Roy Patterson, my my— compadre here at Moody Radio was on with me and he mentioned Tom Skinner and off the air I said Roy one of the one of the fond memories that I have of radio in the in the 80s I think it was in the 1980s was I remember the day when Tom Skinner was coming to town and he sat right across from me we had this conversation and Tom was a little controversial you know in in some Christian circles you know in 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 different places but it was just this engaging conversation, heart to heart. You could tell how sold out for the gospel, what to, how sold out for transformation he was, because that's what the gospel's about. It's not about behavior modification or making you a better person. It's about transforming you from the inside out, putting the, the righteousness of Christ inside of you and then letting that work out. So that was one of my um, one of the high points, I think, of the years and years that we've been able to do this, to be able to sit in the same room with Tom and have that kind of conversation. And I'm glad that you made that connection and went over there and, and heard and him that even night. More, more to the story is, it was years later, I started attending church in a nearby city called Alliance, Ohio, and we had a visiting pastor. He was the chaplain for the Washington Redskins football team, and he actually missed the game that day he, since he was a friend of the pastor. And I found out later, uh, as he talked, he says, yes, I got the job because the person, the, the team chaplain that came up to me and says, God told me to give you this job was Tom Skinner. <laughs> I don't doubt it. Yeah. I don't doubt it one bit. Eric, I'm glad you called today. What a great story. What a great, what a small world we live in. Here's, a, here's another one. This is a little different, but I, I highlighted this one from our Facebook page. Kimberly says, I sent my daughter a letter. Her address was in Charleston, South Carolina. It arrived at someone's home in Ohio. <laughs> now, don't, 
ask me. I have no idea how it did that. The lady who received this in Ohio, she read the letter, readdressed it, and sent it to my daughter with a note saying she needed to hear what I had written in that letter on that particular day. How does that happen? And and how? Why do people take the time? Why did that person take the time to send it to the other person in Charleston, South Carolina? I think that used to go on a lot more often in days gone by. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it happens often these days. Hope it does. I and I want to be that kind of person who will take the time to write the address, readdress it, and send it on. How about you? Uh And I always wonder, you know, is this topic that we're going to do, is this the day when nobody will call? And all of our lines are going. So if if you get a busy signal, you hang up and call back or go to our Facebook page. Or you can actually leave a message with your uh, story at 866-95-FABRY. I give you that number a lot. 866-953-2279. And uh, you can leave your story. I think it's Ted. Hey, Ted, tell me your story. 35 years ago, I was a missionary in Japan, and on a Friday night, we got a call that said there was a little baby Japanese girl that needed a home. And we said, when would you like to know? And they said, how about tomorrow? Hmm. So Friday, they asked us. Saturday, we said yes. But uh, this beautiful little baby girl had health problems, cleft palate and other stuff, and we didn't know how we'd take care of it. So we said yes on Saturday. And Sunday, I got a phone call from a fellow I knew in the United States, just an acquaintance of mine. He said, you know, I had a guy in my church who just had a windfall profit. He doesn't want to give it to an organization. He'd like to give it to an individual. And your name occurred to me. So a couple of weeks later, we got a check for thousands of dollars that enabled us to take care of her health problems. Now, I was in Japan for 14 years, and I only got one phone call like that. And it was the day after we said yes to our daughter. Wow. That's, that's more than a small world. That's a grace-filled world, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's a sweet thing. And, you know, for 30 years now, I've been able to tell that story and tell people how it's as though God had said, you know, some people would say it's a coincidence, but I don't have enough faith for that. And it was like God said to us, you know what, maybe this took you by surprise, but not me. So uh, that's that's just a story of God's grace. You're right. And it all started with you saying, yeah, no, I have to, I have, we have to, we, we have to at least try, right? Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, well, and, you know, God's providence worked in other ways. We had almost adopted Cambodian kids in America, so we had already thought it through. And then our daughter had some special health needs, but my wife just happens to be a nurse. So, and, and as a foreigner, she had the moxie. She went into the hospital and said, hey, can I help out here? So she was able to do that, too. And then our Japanese pastor that we worked with, I'll never forget, he looked at me one day a couple of years later, and he said, you know, when we see you love your daughter like that. We Japanese feel love too. And Japanese would always be surprised when they'd see us because they'd say, something's going on here and you don't see much adoption in Japan. And we had the chance to say, well, you know what? God has adopted us. So it seemed like the most natural thing in the world to adopt her too. What happened to that little girl? Uh, she, I'm picking her up right now. She uh, lives in a group home at Misericordia here in Chicago and uh, works in a coffee shop. Ah. Uh. What a treasure. Tell me your name. Uh, her name is Micah. My means 
uh, um, uh, dance, and ka means fragrance. So her Japanese name means dancing fragrance. What a fantastic story. Ted, thank you for calling in today. God bless you, friend. Pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. Bye-bye. And that's why I said a little earlier, it's like these stories— they take some of them take a little longer to tell you. Know, it's like not just I met somebody over there. It's like this, this is there's something bigger going on here, you know, with the the situation in the small world events and happenings. And uh, I don't have time to be fair to the next caller. So if you're on the line, you hang on. I'm going to get to as many as we can. But his, Ted's story reminds me of the the worth, the value of a child, which is what CareNet is all about. And I mentioned just a little bit ago that the March for Life, the, the large 51st March for Life, which is the largest in the world, uh, second since the overturn of Roe versus Wade, the theme this year is with every woman for every child. And it celebrates the work of pregnancy centers, pregnancy resource centers around the country which makes me think of CareNet and Lee Strobel's story yesterday about the regret that he has of helping uh, a young woman get an abortion uh, at some point in his life, early in his life. Yeah, you know, just take care of it. And then Jill's story, who did the same thing. This baby is going to interrupt my plans for my life. And Jill today is part of this abortion recovery and care program with CareNet. And she wants to help others choose life. And so I am going to tell you, go to chrisfabrylive.org, click the green CareNet button today. Go to chrisfabrylive.org and click CareNet today. More straight ahead on Moody Radio. Put this small world question on our Chris Fabry Live page, as well as my personal Facebook page. Dana wrote, two weeks ago, I was in a conversation with a woman on a cruise ship, only to realize (laughs) she and I had almost the same conversation on a different cruise ship exactly one year ago. Deja vu, right? Um, And then Kyra, who's from my little town in West Virginia, My sister and I were in a vintage store in Nashville, and while we were looking around, we kept saying to each other that we felt like we were in our grandmother's house. The owner overheard us and asked where we were from, and we said a small town in West Virginia that we know you've never heard of. She said, well, I've been to West Virginia several times. What town? We said Culloden, which is where I'm from. No stoplights. I don't know if we have a four-way stop there. She said, Oh, well, I've been there, and I remember the grocery store very well. We said, oh, our grandparents, my dad, owned that store. Savines, my brother got his uh, very first job bagging groceries at Savines. It is a small world. One more. Rodney, I was in a car accident, 1973. I killed my father. My mother was hurt. I wasn't expected to live. Our church was having an all-night prayer vigil for my mother and me. A church family brought a friend from their daughter's school. She didn't know me. 
I did get better, and my mother went to a church singles meeting. She saw this girl, and she told me about her when I was in Bible college. I went to the meeting and met this girl. She was the one who came with her friend. She was praying for someone she had never met. I married this girl. (laughs) We've been married for 44 years. I wasn't supposed to have any kids because of all my injuries. The Lord blessed us with three. They're serving the Lord and doing well. Glory to God. It is a small world. Becky in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Sign in and tell me what you want to tell me. Hi. I love your program. Thank you. Um, so I grew up in a very small town in northwest Georgia called Trenton. No no uh, red lights or anything. Tiny town. <laughs> and my high school English teacher was Mrs. Elliott. Her husband, Henry Elliott, was our high school principal. I graduated in 1971. So about 15 years later, after I had gone to college, become a nurse, and I was on a tour in England uh, looking at their health care systems and hospice systems and took a day off, took a train down from London, England to Dover and was uh, going to ride a hovercraft across the English Channel into Calais, France. So I'm at this hover port getting ready to cross the English Channel, and I turned around and there is Mr. and Mrs. Elliot. Well, I had seven brothers, have seven brothers and sisters, and nobody in our little town could ever remember our names, and so they just called us the Allen kids. So uh, I walked over to Mrs. Elliot. I'm in complete shock, and I touched her on the arm, and I said, Mrs. Elliot? And she turned white as a ghost, and then she said, she grabbed her husband's arm, and she said, oh, my goodness, Henry, it's one of those Allen kids. <laughs> So, of all places, for us to be in a hoverport in Dover, England, from tiny little bitty Trenton, Georgia. So, Mrs. Elliott then returned to her home in Trenton and wrote about this and put an article in the local newspaper, which was only published once a week, uh, about our coincidental meeting. Yes. Oh, Becky. I, I love it. That's... That's where I'm from too. You're you're one of those, you know, fill in the blank. <laughs> you're one of those, aren't you? Yes. And and that can either be yes, positive or negative or kind of neutral at the same time. You know, it, it depends. Uh, but for her to recognize True. your face, there's there's somebody else uh, on Facebook who said the same kind of thing. Only it was yeah. Here it is on a flight from Atlanta to Pittsburgh. A lady approached me and asked if I was a Deverix. How in the world, she says, when I responded in the affirmative, she went on to say that she knew my grandfather, and she actually did know him. She said, Deverick's girls look alike. (laughs) And that's why she approached Carmelita on the plane. Can you, uh, some of these, Becky, thank you. God bless you, friend. I got to get to Trenton one of these days. Got to hang a left at the stop sign. Uh, Gene, Gene, are you in uh, New York State today? Yes, Saratoga, New York. Saratoga. Uh, State, New York. Excellent. I'm glad yeah. to hear from you. There's, you must Albany. have a good story to call all the way from Saratoga. Well, I listen to your program all the time. And, well, when I'm in the car, because my husband doesn't like to listen to it at home. So when I'm in the car, I get the time to listen to the radio. But uh, my story, I have actually had a couple of different ones. But the one I'm uh, telling you right now is uh, – I was in the Army for three years. My husband was in there, spent 20 years in the Army. But we met at Fort Hood, Texas, and the way we met is 
I had a friend, Kathy, who came from Arkansas, and uh, when we were going to school, we had to learn these special diets because I was a diet cook. So we had to learn these special diets, and the diet, one of the diet, the way she taught us to learn it is a friend's heart she knew, Stanley Russell. We used Stanley Russell, Stanley Clear Russell, or no, Stanley Russell, Clear Russell, and Stanley Clear Russell to remember the different kinds of diets. So it worked out great. Well, then one day we were walking down on post, and we saw this bright green car, and she said, that looks like the car I sold to Stanley Russell. <laughs> and sure enough, she saw this person, found him, and he was living there. He was stationed there on post. Uh, he was stationed on the other side of the post working on helicopters. We were stationed over by the hospital. So she met him, and we went over and met uh, his wife. Uh, they lived off post and talked to them for a while. And Stanley asked if I was interested in meeting somebody. Well, I've got a twin sister, but I said, yeah, I'd like to uh, meet meet somebody. So he introduced me to this guy named uh, Allison Russell. And uh, they they weren't related. Uh, the story with them is Stanley came into the unit after my husband did. And my husband's 5'3", Stanley's 6'2", and he introduced Stanley as his brother to everyone because of the size difference. So then when we met, you know, uh, we after dating a few times, we ended up getting married. And we've been married 47 years this April. Wow. But, you know, it's because of a chance meeting with somebody that, uh, I was mean, that a green car. Okay. And I don't understand. Tell me this, the Stanley Russell, was it the letters in Stanley's name that, that you use the S T A N that you used for okay. the cooking on your special, on the special diets in the hospital, somebody's in the hospital, you have sodium restricted, you have calorie restricted you have sodium calorie restricted. Somebody that's really on really has to watch their weight, their calorie, and stuff like that, and their sodium. So you'd have to make special foods for these people so that they wouldn't get too much sodium or too many calories or both. So we had to learn these diets. So we learned it around the Stanley's name because his name we had to write the right initials. Ah, the initials. So okay, gotcha. Us, it, yeah, it that, got us through our classes on the different diets. So you know, that would it. that would be a really good, Gene, thank you for that story. That would be a, a good program as well. There's something in there about how you remember something, um, how you were able to do one thing or another <laughs> and and go go through. You know, get the diet uh, that you want to give. I'm looking at some of the others. These are just really, really good. I grew up in the Twin Cities in Minnesota. Minnesota. I attended a small Lutheran school through the sixth grade. I had a teacher that was so special to our family that I grew. as I grew older, I would often babysit her children. After college, I began teaching and eventually moved to California. The Lutheran teachers had some kind of convention. I attended one of the breakout sessions. The man speaking bore such a resemblance to my grade school teacher right down to hand gestures and expressions. I don't think I absorbed a word he said because I couldn't wait for the session to end so I could find out his name. And sure enough, wouldn't you know it, they were brothers. It's a small world. Cindy, thanks for that. 
Small World Story. This is Chris Fabry Live. I've got more folks who want to tell you their story, and we're going to go to them straight ahead. Go to the website, chrisfabrylive.org. You can find out more about the program. You can respond there. Click our Facebook page, chrisfabrylive.org. This is Chris Fabry live on Moody Radio. Our thank you this month for any support you give, if you click through or give give call to our number, is a book on prayer. And you probably have a lot of books on prayer. I mean, I don't. I've seen your bookshelf, of course. But prayer is one of those things that that we need need help with because a lot of people feel guilty about it, and and maybe even hearing about prayer, you think, oh, I just you know, such a failure at that. And don't, don't. I, I hope if you can't give a gift, call the number, click through. I want to send this to you because I have been, I've gone through it since late December and uh, got through it this week, going through it very slowly. It's a short book, but the, the response that I'm getting about this, I got an email this morning uh, from somebody who said, I really want to get that because this, I, I really think this is going to help me. And I know it will. I wrote a bag and I said, yeah, it will. The subtitle is Transforming Your Prayers into a Spirit-Empowered, Life-Giving Adventure. Is that what your prayers are like? It's a, is it an adventure? What I'm learning the more I, I've gone through this and now gone going back through it, it's less about the activity. It's less about the the posture, the motions. It's more about what God is doing on the inside here. And I think the other thing is conforming me to the image of his son. He does that through this daily conversation. And Dr. Bill Thrasher, How to Resurrect a Dead Prayer Life is the title. But it's more than just, oh, if you're a failure at prayer. Call 866-95-FABRY. Give a gift of any size. And if you can't, tell them I can't. Send it anyway. Because I really want to get this in your hands. 866-953-2279. Or go to chrisfabrylive.org. Scroll down, you'll see how to be a, a friend or a partner with us right there. ChrisFabryLive.org. Thanks for your support. Thanks for those of you who pray for the program, too. Thank you for your prayer support. Jamie is in Wabash, Indiana. Hello there, Jamie. Go right ahead. Hi. My story starts off with me roaming the hallways of this huge hospital about 60 miles from my house. And I found out later I was definitely in the wrong place of the hospital. And I, I get on the elevator, and this man walks in, and I, and I recognize him, and I, and I tell him, your mom, about 15 years ago, worked with me and so many other women through Bible study, and his mom had prayed with me often and really helped me have, learn how to have a relationship with God instead of being afraid, and I just can't tell you how much she meant to me. And I, I asked, well, how is she doing? And he said, she's actually dying. And she, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> so I asked, could I come? Could I come see her? And what happened? Oh, oh no, oh no! Oh, did we lose all of them? Right? Okay. Um, 
Well, that's a that's a an interesting place to end that story. And I asked, and and here's what happens with the emotion. I do it too. I apologize for it. It's like ah, I wanted to get through that. It's not able to, but okay. But you never have to apologize for the emotion here because I felt it when I told that story about my father-in-law too. It's like I can never get through that without feeling the thing that I feel. Uh. But we don't we don't have Jamie. Okay, so we're, see if we can get Jamie because I want to hear the rest of that story. That uh, be able to to step into an elevator and you're looking for somebody, something else, some other place to get to somebody else's room, and you see this person, and then you find out that this person that meant so much to you is is on her deathbed, and then can I go see her? Okay, so. What you just heard then is, for a fiction writer, this is this is what you have to do in order to get people to read your story and to get you know go through it and keep turning pages. You've got to create tension, you've got to create conflict, you've got to create this. I need to know. I need to know, because I feel it right now. <laughs> I want to know. I want to know the rest of that story. Yeah. Okay. Um. I I told this to my wife yesterday. I said we're going I'm going to do this program. I got this email. What do you think about that? And she was reading a book and she said, "Well, you know, that, that reminds me of the story." And so I I got it and and basically the story is this. There's a fellow in Ohio calling Bill feeling like he needed a break. Went out with a friend. He was talking about the stress of his life talking about how much he loved fishing. I need to go fishing. A man overhears and says, hey, you ever been to Alaska? I know a guy who will take you on a plane, and uh, then you get to another plane and several drop you off in a boat, and then you go to the island and you stay a week by yourself in this little cabin and you fish. And a month later, he's on a plane and on another plane and and then a boat, and he gets to the island and after three days, he, he's eaten you know, the salmon or whatever he caught, the best fish he'd ever eaten. He's refreshed. He's just amazingly rejuvenated. And on the day the boat comes to pick him up, there are other people from other islands on that boat. And a man who's standing on the deck looks at him and says, Jesse, why didn't you tell me you were coming here? And Bill says, I think you got the wrong guy. Uh, wrong guy. I'm not. I'm not Jesse. But the other fella s- insisted. No, no. Y- you've got to be, unless he said, unless you have a twin brother. At which point Bill begins to weep and say, "I do have a twin brother, but we were separated when we were four years old, and his name is Jesse." <laughs> And I haven't seen him in 36 years. And a few weeks after that, in California, (laughs) because of this fellow on the deck who said, Jesse, Bill and Jesse were together. It's a small world. And I would say now the in this book, it doesn't give credit to the one who is working all this together. Who's working all this out? 
But I would say this is not just happenstance. This is not just something that happens. There is a design. You can't go all the way <laughs> to Alaska on an island and just a few people, a handful of people on a boat. Uh, Tanner is in Washington. Tanner, tell me your story before we leave today. Yeah, hi, Chris. Uh, can you hear me fine? I sure can. So uh, over the last year, uh, my wife and I have been pursuing uh, more full-time ministry, and we decided uh, through a series of events that we, that we felt that God was leading us into church planting. So we joined an organization uh, called Converge, and then we went to a church planting assessment center in Nashville back in June, and we live in, in Washington, north of Spokane. So anyways, while we were there, through a series of circumstances and, and working on um, team-building projects together with the other candidates there, there were 12 candidates there and their spouses, uh, I come to find out one of these gentlemen uh, lived in the town where I was born in, in South Texas. And then as we got talking more, um, he told me where he lived and, and that he was at the same Bible school where my parents went when I was born. They were studying language school there when I was born. And so then the more we got talking, we come to find out that he actually lives in the house that I was born in, in South no. Texas. And he was up in Nashville at this um, church planting assessment center. And we were from Washington State in Nashville, and, and we happened to meet. And anyways... It was really cool for me, mostly because it was just another confirmation that God was leading us in this direction. Yes. And uh, so we got to talk, and we've been texting each other now, and we pray for each other, and just a, a really wild connection. Uh, I love those stories of the house that I grew up in and somebody who lives there or has lived there. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I only have a minute left, but look who's back, Jamie. Jamie, uh, what happened after you said, can I go see her? Okay, so he said, yes, you can come up. The family was all around her. They were listening, and I was able to tell her how much she had meant to me and what she had done for all of us, and she just began to cry, and that was a, the day before she passed away. Wow. Oh, and, and it was all because you, didn't, you couldn't find your way. You couldn't find the place where you were supposed to be, and you went to the place where you were supposed to be, right? Exactly. It was a huge hospital. I was completely lost. <laughs> oh, Jamie, I'm glad that we got you on to hear the rest of the story. If maybe you have a, a story like this, call our listener line, 866-95-FABRY, and press the right number. Uh, you can give a gift, but you can also tell me your story. I'd love to hear that small world story. Aren't you glad that God is in control of the small world? He has it in his hands. He's got you in his hands, too. Chris Fabry Live is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.